11 a.m. on the West Coast. <laughs> I don't know, 10 o'clock or so on the East Coast of America. Hello, America. Good morning. How are you? It's uh, 3.30 in London. Hello there. It, oh, by the way, London, we're doing Sherlock Holmes. Thought you might be interested. Uh, also, 7.30 in Mumbai, India. Hello to all of our podcast listeners in India. And also, of course, 11 o'clock in my favorite place on the planet, Kyoto, Japan. And in Malaysia, it is somewhere just after the Dark Ages, but before the Age of Enlightenment. Yeah, something like that. I'm Jay Sheldon, the guy without the pants. <laughs> Happy Monday. It is a Monday, but here in Malaysia, and I assume several other countries with a large Buddhist population, it is Wisak Day. So it is uh, a public holiday. We had the day off today, which was nice. Had a chance to get out, do some laundry, get the stuff done that we don't get to do other days, or we don't want to waste our weekend doing. So, yeah, nice three-day weekend uh, this week here in Malaysia and uh, a couple other places around the planet. Uh, Wow. Luna. Oh, my God. Look, it's Luna Amethyst. Hello, Luna. It's been a while. Welcome back. Nice to see you. I do catch your Twitter feeds, but my Twitter feed is so jammed up with stuff that you... You don't, you know, the algorithms screw with everything on Twitter. Hopefully, Elon can fix this. I discovered something cool that I didn't know. In fact, I got it from Elon Musk. Well, not personally, but uh, if you go to your Twitter here, uh, it's hard to see on the camera because it's so bright, and you go up to that star thing in the uh, upper right hand corner, you click that. And it says, well, mine says, your timeline is set to home. You can switch to the latest tweets. It doesn't get rid of the algorithm, but it gives you the very latest kind of chronological tweets as opposed to what the algorithm thinks you ought to or want to see. Uh, An interesting way, and it really did change the way my Twitter Twitter feed comes up. You can follow me over there, by the way. The link is in our show notes tonight. That's the description down below. And if you don't want to bother looking and scrolling down, it's just, I'm It's Jay Sheldon, at It's Jay Sheldon, I-T-S Jay Sheldon. You can follow me over there on Twitter. I will warn you, I'm a bit conservative. I know, of all people, me, but I am, so there. Uh, so I repost and re- retweet and uh, make comments that are, yeah. Uh, sorry, been missing the stream, says Luna. No, please. I know you're a, a busy person and uh, got certainly better things to do than hanging out with me for an hour, three times a week. But uh, yeah, that's what we do. We hang out and our podcast is doing really well. That's the audio only portion of our show. It is on all the major, in fact, all the major and minor platforms. If you have a podcast provider, uh, Stitcher, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever, Radio Public, Geo7 in India, um, we're there. Just search for I'm Not Wearing Pants or Jay Sheldon. Look for this logo. Click on it and click follow or subscribe, whatever your platform says. But anyway... Uh, You went to a con a few days ago that was fun. Cool. We just had, I don't have any pictures of it. I should have bookmarked a couple. But we just had an enormous uh, anime con 
here in Malaysia at Paradigm Mall, and oh my God, the traffic was incredible, was unbelievable. As a matter of fact, it, it, was, uh, it was all weekend, I think, but um, some folks in a group I'm a part of, I, again, I don't think you're going to be able to see this because it's, but that, yeah, you can kind of make it out there on the, on the picture. I'll tell you what, let me do this. Let me switch to the other camera, which is a little less, yeah, not a whole. Anyway, that's the crowd, part of the crowd at Paradigm. It was, it was absolutely insane. It was a huge, huge event. But uh, yeah, it was crazy. And I assume fun. I'm not into that stuff, so I wouldn't have had any attraction to going. But uh, apparently people that were... I think everybody and their brother and sister were were on were at Paradigm Mall yesterday for the Anime Fest. Cool beans. And, you know, kudos to those guys and gals out there who uh, get all dressed up and go crazy and do all that, uh, all that stuff. All right. Uh, we got a big show tonight. We got lots coming up, including our deepest, darkest secrets. And why, if you have one, and I know you do, it could be killing you. Not kidding. Also, of course, later on, we'll get to our new book, which is The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Right now, it's The Adventures of This Little Furry Girl. Hello. Miko Update. <laughs> yeah, Miko Update. A little delayed, but there nevertheless. Uh, she's great, doing wonderful, and I'll tell you what, yesterday, she had a dream come true. I kid you not, take a look at this. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm telling you. Uh, Hiwei, thank you so much. Uh, just unbelievable. A big round of applause for Hiwei. Um, and uh, she uh, she came over the house and had a, a few pig ears she wanted to give to us for Miko. A few? Are you kidding me? This is like two years supply of pig ears. We talked about this before. I know some, you know, you vegan people out there are going to be going nuts. But, you know, they slaughter the pigs for meat. And it's actually a good thing they're not wasting any parts of it. And, in fact, the pig ears are dried out. And I don't know what else they do to them. But they're cut up uh, and used as dog treats. They're good for the dog. They're not harmful. They're great. The dogs absolutely love them. Miko is insane about them. And not only that, but I think these are duck necks or duck drummets or something. Anyway, she loves those two. It was absolutely. But you see, that's actually the ear of a pig, and they've sliced it up here so that you can break it into more reasonable pieces. She'd eat the whole. She'd eat this whole thing, all of them, in one sitting if we let her. But uh, yeah, that ain't gonna happen. But anyway, thank you so much once again to Hiwei for uh, the huge supply of. Uh, Oinker ears. <laughs> Man. Uh, seriously, she's in love. And she knows the bag that they're in. And she keeps an eye on that thing all the time. If we even start to head towards it, her ears are up and she's watching. Can I have one now? <laughs> it's insane. All right. Uh, let's see. What else we got? Oh, yeah. It's time to confess your deepest, darkest Secrets. Dun, dun, dun. Secrets are apparently a kind of poison. 
And the antidote is confessing them. Now look, you don't have to confess your deepest, darkest secret here on this show. But if you want to, feel free. You can put it in the chat. I am not going to be discussing my deepest, darkest secrets because they're just that deep and just that dark. So, <laughs> Anyway, this article, the link is in our show notes. All the articles we talk about, you can find the links in our show notes. Uh, what a cutie. Yeah, you're right. Uh, but this is just unbelievable. You know, we did the article in our last show or two shows ago. I think it was our last show. We, we Just check it out in our, our previous show. There's a link in the show notes that said that you can actually kill yourself, not suicide, but people can die from losing the will to live. That was, it was fascinating. I got a lot of reaction to that link and you need to check it out. It's in our show notes in, la, in our last show from Saturday night. But it kind of connects in a way to this one, another weird thing, secrets that we all have. Look, nobody's so goody two-shoes. You don't have some deep, dark secret on some level out there. Those kind of things that gnaw at you, you obsess over them, makes you anxious, makes you unhappy. Well, if secrets are a poison, then confession is the medicine. Hey, maybe the Catholics were onto something. Uh, Socrates argued self-confession and self-honesty is essential to a fulfilled life. And the secrets we have and the reasons we have them are worth examining. You probably have a secret that you have never shared with anyone. Dive into your psyche for just a moment and retrieve that secret. Dig up the fetid, festering lump of your shameful past and hold it before you in your mind's eye. How heavy is it? What anxiety, fear, panic lies at its core? How long can you hold it like this until you feel your heart start to gallop and your breath quicken, this deep, dark secret? that you're holding in your mind's eye. According to a study published by the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, 97%, almost all of us, hold at least one secret that falls within 38 different categories identified by the researchers. The secret could be about an abortion, poor finances, hidden relationship, hidden addiction, sexual orientation, lack of sex, past crimes, those kind of things. Keeping secrets universal. Everybody does it. It doesn't make you a bad person. Everyone has secrets. Your dearest loved one, your will-tell-each-other-everything person. You are no doubt hiding something from them, really, and they are no doubt hiding something from you. What damage, though, does holding these secrets do? And if you confess them, what do you gain by doing that? It seems a bit dangerous waters. Ah, Amethyst says, not sure if I have any big secrets. Dig deeper. If secrets act as a kind of poison, then confession is the remedy. 
We confess to someone, we drop our pretenses, we throw away all the masks and costumes and reveal who we really are. A confession is an invitation to witness yourself laid bare, just laid right out there. It is an act of tremendous courage. It takes a lot of cojones to do this. Uh, It leaves us vulnerable, leaves us afraid, but it is also hugely good for you. It really is very, 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 very difficult to do, but very, 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 very good for you. According to the study, the average person has about 13 secrets. Wow, do I have them? Yeah, I guess I might. (laughs) Some of them might be bigger or smaller, but each one bears a weight. And try as we might to ignore or repress the secrets, our mind continually wanders back to them. If we're picking at some kind of psychic scab, sort of. Uh, What Slepian et al. showed us is that people will turn their attention to their secrets on a daily basis. And even more, when it's significant or a large secret. The most fascinating part of the study, however, is that the more people dwell on their secrets, the more unhappy they are. We are irresistibly pulled to obsess over our secrets, and doing so negatively affects our well-being. That just makes sense. You know, you dwell on these dark secrets, most of them usually because it's a secret, it's something bad. And you will start to obsess and you draw yourself down. The problem excavated by the nature of the secret in that it's never purged. It's never confessed. It latches on and it buries itself deeper. And no easy way to get rid of the secrets. Given that secrets often deal with ongoing personal concerns that require some resolution, if one is not talking about it with others then the only venue to work through it is in your own mind, and that may not be the best place to be doing that. Uh, Amethyst uh, Luna says, uh, I, I mean, I realize I'm on the asexual spectrum, but I don't know if that's a secret. Well, not anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, fascinating article about knowing yourself, possibly confessing your secrets. Look, it can also be dangerous depending upon how deep and dark your secret is. But um, keeping it, dwelling on it, ain't healthy. And uh, whether you do that with a therapist or your significant other, uh, it actually, the study has shown that holding on to that, keeping it a secret, ain't healthy. So if you can let it go or confess it, According to this study, it'll make your life a lot better if you do. It's very cool. Very, very weird. Strange, uh, strange study. Anyway, that uh, link to that is in our show notes tonight. You can, uh, you can check it out and read more. Read the whole article if you want to and, uh, in your spare time. All right, this is from the, uh, the Wall Street Journal. Boy, does this apply to me. <laughs> I'm telling you. <clears throat> I'm starting to lag, by the way. I don't know why. Everything here seems fine, but I am definitely lagging. So, uh, yeah, be prepared. The Wall Street Journal has an article that says, Why are we forgetting things right now? I, you know, I'm of an age where 
you know, you forget things now and then. You get older, you get a bit forgetful. Midnight 6.30, hey, hey! That's got to be Ed. Hello, Ed. Hello there in Connecticut. Nice to have you along for the stream. Um, Ed, you're getting to the age, too, where you're starting to forget things, right? Look, this is a cool article. It's from the Wall Street Journal. It might be behind a paywall, but I think they give you one chance to look at it and read one article, and then after that you have to pay. Anyway, short temporary moments of forgetfulness are happening to more of us these days. These days, not necessarily based on how old you are, like me, you know, 152, uh, but memory experts say that these days, more and more people actually are becoming somewhat more forgetful. Yeah, see, it's a subscribe thing. Uh, there's a study out that shows that part of the reason has to do with the amount of time you spend on social media and you spend on this little stupid device right here, your handphone, or as they say in the U.S., cell phone. We call them handphones here. Nobody knows what a cell phone is. But uh, anyway, because you rely on this, for example, if I asked you probably your best friend's telephone number, unless it hasn't changed in 30 years, I'll bet you really can't just remember it. I can't. I don't know anybody's phone number anymore. I rely on this. Everything I need is right here. Dates, appointments, business schedules, notes, phone book. It's all right here. And because we spend so much time relying on this thing. For example, there are people these days who couldn't get across town just by remembering the street names and what direction to go. They'd have to use Waze or they couldn't get there or whatever your navigational app is. Without that, they'd be lost. Same thing with this. Again, part of the reason, read the article if you get a chance from the Wall Street Journal. It's very cool. And a part of it is indeed because we rely on that thing so much and it ain't always the best idea. Ed says, good morning. Getting there. Col uh, colonoscopy in two hours. Oh my goodness. Ow. Ugh. Ugh. Can we talk about something else, please? Except your colonoscopy? <laughs> well, good luck with that. I hope you're fine. And nice to know that you decided to spend a couple of hours before your procedure watching me. <laughs> All right. Oof. Yeah, Luna says oof. <laughs> oh, man. That's weird. Okay, what else we got here? Oh, yeah, we got another one. Remember last uh, last show? We did that thing, speaking about spending too much time on your handphone. There's a nice segue. We did this, uh, this story in our last show about uh, this idiot mother who was paying attention to her phone and her kid almost drowned. Well, from the files of parents who shouldn't be parents and should have probably have their children taken away from them, uh, this article, which is in our show notes, is from the World of Buzz. We love the World of Buzz. We use them a lot on this show, and thank you guys. We always give you credit, and we, uh, we give you the link in our show notes to check them out. Uh, hang on. Before we get to the article, it says, Finally got to check uh, catch your stream since I had to get up so early. Yeah, it is. It's what seven quarter twenty after seven there in uh, in Connecticut. Ow! Sorry about that. 
we actually were thinking, because we do have a big U.S. audience, we were thinking about switching this up and making it 10 a.m. Malaysia time, which would be 10 p.m. Uh, on the east coast of the U.S. But uh, I'm not sure that would work. Besides, I have meetings for business on Monday and Wednesday at 10 a.m., so that definitely wouldn't work. Anyway, you can always watch the recorded show. They're all up there on Rumble.com or YouTube or Facebook if you want. But, uh, yeah, you can check out all of our past shows, all 200-something of them. 213, I think, is tonight. All right. Uh, yeah, 1020 now. Wow. Playing a game called F.E. Heroes. Cool. All right. Uh, what else we got? Yes, okay. Stupid mothers, uh, stupid parents who should not be allowed to breed, let alone who should not be allowed to have children, period. Check out this headline from World of Buzz. Johor Mom, Johor is a state here in Malaysia, in the southern part of peninsular Malaysia, uh, showcases her 10-year-old son driving himself and his siblings to school. She has surrendered to the police. Okay, first of all, you're an idiot for doing that. You're a complete freaking moron. Second of all, apparently she uploaded a video of it to some platform and, hey, look, so proud of my son who drives himself and his kids to school. Lady, the kid is 10. He can't decide which socks to wear that match. You are putting him behind the wheel of a car with his sisters. Now, from the pictures, it looks like a really nice family. It's just too bad you're apparently trying to kill them. After realizing a video of her 10-year-old son driving a car was being investigated by police, uh, you think, a couple surrendered to the Pontian District Police Headquarters in Johor. Based on a report by Harian Metro, it's a news outlet here in Malaysia, the District Police Chief Superintendent Mohamed Shofi uh, Thayed shared that the couple came with their three children to help with the investigation, which started after a video of a 10-year-old boy driving a Perodua Kanchil. It's a very small little car we have, a local brand here in Malaysia. Uh, with his siblings inside the vehicle, had gone viral. Look at this. Take a look at, if you're watching on, if you're listening to the podcast, go to our Rumble video and, or check out the link. Uh, look at this kid. He can barely see. In fact, I would guess he can't see over the steering wheel. Uh, she shared it on her Facebook page, showed the boy driving away with his siblings in the car, and uh, posted, when mama's very late to send them to school, my 10-year-old son will drive to school. He'll bring his siblings along too. Be careful, my son. It happened at 7 a.m. last Tuesday. Uh, they were getting ready for school, the mother of the three kids admitted the TikTok account who showcased the video was her account. Investigation carried out in accordance to Section 42 of the Road Transportation Act. Yeah, well, how about Section whatever the hell it is of the get these kids away from this idiot? Do we have a child and family services sort of department in Malaysia? And if we do, what the hell are you guys doing? This is insane. This is absolutely insane and this woman should not be allowed to have children that's two two shows two articles same thing 
unbelievable. I got no words. Insane. All right, what else we got? I'm doing this a little differently tonight, so you got to bear with me, okay? We're trying to figure it out as we go along. <laughs> Can you tell? I can. Oh, yeah, nice. Oh, check this out. Oh, 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 this is good. Links in our show notes. Sorry, it was time for a, a Miko break. That's my coffee mug. This is Miko. This is our show logo. And this, along with T-shirts and ball caps and hoodies and notepads and stickers and mouse pads, you will find them all at Miko Merchandise for I'm Not Wearing Pants, our show. And that is the top link in our show notes if you want to check it out. Uh, I got a $17 tip from a nice customer at work yesterday. Nice. That's a rather decent tip, actually. That's very healthy. Very nice. You must have done something right. Ah, that's encouraging. And, you know, that relates to the other thing I wanted to share tonight. And that is how we encourage others to do the right thing. To Not only to encourage people to do the right thing, but when somebody tries, when somebody attempts, when somebody gives it an effort, don't discourage them if they don't succeed. This is from Shorok Mustafa Ibrahim. And it is so meaningful. I had to share it. It's a very short little thing. May you never be the reason why someone who loved to sing doesn't sing anymore. Or why someone who dressed so differently now wears standard clothing. Or why someone who always spoke of their dreams so wildly is now silent about them. May you never be the reason of someone giving up on a part of themselves because you were demotivating, non-appreciative, or even worse, sarcastic about it. Sharok Mustafa Ibrahim. And boy, truer words. Somebody tries, somebody gives it their best. Maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe it's not exactly what you would do. That sarcasm, that discouragement you do, you have no idea what kind of effect that has on people. Don't do it. Be the encouraging person. Be the person who tells somebody, good try, nice, keep going. This is absolutely brilliant. I shared the link to this. It's a very short little meme, but... Uh, I put the link to that in our uh, our show notes tonight because I thought it was it was just that important. It's uh, it's words to live by, folks. Indeed. I this is weird. Now I'm I'm not gonna play this. I'll play the video while I talk about it. But this is the kind of thing you got to check out yourself. I always tell you to check the links in our show notes. And you want to read the whole article? Go ahead. I some of you do, some of you don't. Whatever. Uh, but this one, I'm not going to make a whole lot of comments about it, but I just wanted to put it in our show notes so that if you have a half an hour, it's actually, it's 21 minutes long. It's an article called, it's from a site called Wake Them Up Media. Goro, Goro187, hello. Hey, good to have you along for the ride. All right. Um, anyway. 
this is the strangest video. Again, it's like a documentary. It's about 20 minutes long. So you got to set yourself some time. Set yourself some time when you have some. You can just do what you need to do. And, uh, and check out this video. This is, I'll just play it. There's no, uh, there is sound, but I'm not going to play the sound. Um, this is CERN. You know, the Hedron Collider thing, crazy thing trying to make black holes and destroy the planet or whatever the hell they're doing. This, uh, look, I'm a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy nut with the best of them. I buy into some things. I don't buy into other things. I usually say, what does the science say? I usually say, what are the facts? Not what your opinion is, but the facts. This made me go, hmm. You know, maybe you don't feel this way, but I do. It seems in the last five or ten years, things are so hugely different with humanity, with the world. I'm not just talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about a little bit of everything. Stuff is screwed up. It's almost like, and I don't think this is the I'm 64 years old and back in the good old days and when I was a kid, blah, blah, BS, you know. I don't think it's that. Because I've talked to young people who feel the same way. There's just, in the last five plus years, something's out of whack. Something's off. That's kind of what this video talks about. It talks about this hedron, whatever it is, collider thing in CERN. And how is it possible, and he presents some evidence, is it possible that they have opened up a parallel universe of sorts, or partly opened a parallel, because that's part of the stuff they talk about doing with this collider. Again, not going to get totally into it. It would be a three-hour show in and of itself, and I don't want to sound like a complete nutcase. However, I do want to encourage you to take 20 minutes and watch this video. The link is in our show notes. It's about the third, fourth, fifth link down. Uh, and it's from, it's from Facebook Watch. While it's still up there, check it out. It's, well, I'll tell you what. I promise you this. Keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. That's important for whatever you do. And watch this. And you will, at the very least, you will go, hmm, maybe. It presents some really, really interesting ideas about why these days, literally these days, things just seem to be a bit off. Which, like I said, even young people, younger people, 20s, 30s, that I've spoken to, have said the same thing. Yeah, it just feels like something is off whatever <laughs> oh man all right one more thing and then we're going to move on to our book again it's a quickie and the link is in our show notes but for those of you who think 
cutting down a single tree doesn't affect the weather, our water supply, our life, let alone cutting down a whole forest or a whole jungle. Are you listening, Malaysia? Take a look at these facts, and this will open your eyes. I know the people who need to hear this won't, or they won't care. Because, you know, the almighty dollar, money talks. The water from a two-inch downpour, more than 54,000 gallons per acre, is captured almost entirely by an oak forest's leaf litter. That's the leaves that have fallen off the tree and laid on the ground. That's called leaf litter. The organic humus that the rotting leaves create and the leaf litter itself captures almost all of those 54,000 gallons per acre that are dropped. But leaf litter and humus don't hold this water indefinitely. They do corral it on site just long enough. They hold it in so that it seeps into the ground and replenishes our water table on which so many of us depend. In fact, on which all of us depend. In areas where there is no leaf litter, because the trees have been clear-cut, so there's no leaves to make leaf litter, the same two-inch rainstorm causes a flood, because all that water just washes off the surface, drags the mud with it, and away it goes. So, the next time you think it's not important, you can go through and chop down trees, and chop down the jungle, and just clear-cut the land. Keep that in mind. The stats are incredible. Two-inch downpour, 54,000 gallons over an acre, and all of that is sucked into the ground from leaf litter and humus and put into the water table compared to where there are no trees because they've been cut down, deforestation, and all that water. And boy, have we seen this a billion times in this country, and yet it continues all that water runs off and winds up flooding, and in some cases killing people, and certainly destroying homes and lives. That is a dangerous situation to be in, and yet we keep doing it. When will they ever learn? When will they ever learn? All right, it's time to stop being so heavy. <laughs> It's time to get to our book, The Adventures of... Whoa, why did I just shift suddenly? That was weird, huh? All right. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes is the book we are doing. And uh, our romance with royalty story continues. The very first story from The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And uh, the game is afoot. When we last left off, uh, Watson agreed to meet Holmes at a particular time, 
that's excellent, I think, perhaps. It's almost time that I prepare for the new role I have to play. So Sherlock disappeared into his bedroom and returned in a few minutes in the character of an amiable and simple-minded, nonconformist clergyman. His broad black hat, his baggy trousers, white tie, sympathetic smile, and a general look of peering and benevolent curiosity were such as Mr. John Hare alone could not have equaled. It was not merely that Holmes changed his costume. His expression, his manner, his very soul seemed to vary with every fresh part he assumed. The stage lost a fine actor, even as science lost an acute reasoner when he became a specialist in crime. It was a quarter past six when we left Baker Street, and it still wanted ten minutes to the hour when we found ourselves in Serpentine Avenue. It was already dusk, and the lamps were just being lighted as we paced up and down in front of Bryony Lodge, waiting for the coming of its occupant. The house was just such as I had pictured it from Sherlock Holmes' distinct description, but the locality appeared to be less private than I expected. On the contrary, for a street small in a quiet neighborhood, it was remarkably animated. There was a group of shabbily-dressed men smoking and laughing in a corner, a scissors grinder with his wheel, two guardsmen who were flirting with a nurse girl, and several well-dressed young men who were lounging up and down with cigars in their mouths. "'You see,' marked, remarked Holmes, as we paced to and fro in front of the house, "'this marriage simply rather matters. "'The photograph becomes a double-edged weapon now. "'The chances are that she would be as adverse to it being seen as Mr. Godfrey Norton, "'as our client to its coming to the eyes of his princess. "'Now the question is, where are we to find the photograph?' Where indeed? Well, it's most unlikely she carries it about with her. It's cabinet size, too large for easy concealment about a woman's dress. She knows the king is capable of having her waylaid and searched. Two attempts of the sort have already been made. We may take it, then, that she does not carry it about her. Oh, where, then? Her bank, or her lawyer. That is double possibility. But I'm inclined to think neither. Women are naturally secretive. They like to do their own secreting. Why should she hand it over to anyone else? She could trust her own guardianship, but she could not tell what indirect or political influence might be brought to bear upon a businessman. Besides, remember that she had resolved to use it within a few days. It must be where she can lay her hands upon it, but it must be in her own house. But it has twice been burgled. Pshaw, they did not know how to look. But how will you look? I will not look. What then? I'll get her to show me. But she will refuse. She will not be able to. But I hear the rumble of wheels. It's her carriage. Now carry out my orders to the letter. As he spoke, the gleam of the sidelights of a carriage came round the curve of the avenue. 
It was a smart little landau which rattled up to the door of Bryony Lodge. As it pulled up, one of the loafing men at the corner dashed forward to open the door in the hopes of earning a copper, but was elbowed away by another loafer who'd rushed up with the same intention. A fierce quarrel broke out, which had increased by two guardsmen who took sides with one of the loungers, and by the scissors grinder, who was equally hot upon the other side. A blow was struck, and in an instant the lady, who had stepped from her carriage, was the center of a little knot of flushed and struggling men, who struck savagely at each other with their fists and sticks. Holmes dashed into the crowd to protect the lady. But just as he reached her, he gave a cry and dropped to the ground, with blood running freely down his face. At his fall, the guardsmen took to their heels in one direction, and the loungers in the other, while a number of better-dressed people, who'd watched the scuffle without taking part in it, crowded in to help the lady and to attend the injured man. Irene Adler, as I will still call her, had hurried up the steps, but she stood at the top with a superb figure, outlined against the lights in the hall, looking back into the street. "'Is the poor gentleman much hurt?' she asked. "'He's dead!' cried several voices. "'No, no, there's life in him!' shouted another. "'But he'll be gone before you can get him to the hospital.' "'He is a brave fellow,' said the woman." They would have had the lady's purse and watch if it had been for him. They were a gang and a rough one, too. Ah, he, he's breathing now. Well, he can't lie in the street. May we bring him in, ma'am? Surely, bring him to the sitting room. There's a comfortable sofa. This way, please. Slowly and solemnly, he was born into Bryony Lodge, and laid out in the principal room while I still observed the proceedings from my post by the window. The lamps had been lit, but the blinds had not been drawn, so that I could see Holmes as he lay upon the couch. I do not know whether he was seized with compunction at that moment for the part he was playing, but I know that I never felt more heartily ashamed of myself in my life than when I saw the beautiful creature against whom I was conspiring or the grace and kindness with which she waited upon the injured man. And yet it would be the blackest treachery to Holmes to draw back now from the part which he had entrusted to me. I hardened my heart, took the smoke rocket from under my ulster. After all, I thought, we're not injuring her. We are but preventing her from injuring another. Holmes sat up on the couch. I saw him motion like a man who's in need of air. A maid rushed across and threw open the window. At the same instant, I saw him raise his hand, and at the signal, I tossed my rocket into the room with a cry of, Fire! The word was no sooner out of my mouth than the whole crowd of spectators, well-dressed and ill, gentlemen, ulster, and maidservants, joined in a general shriek of fire. Thick clouds of smoke circled through the room and out at the open window. I caught a glimpse of rushing figures, and a moment later the voice of Holmes from within assuring them it was a false alarm. Slipping through the shouting crowd, I made my way to the corner of the street, and in ten minutes was rejoiced to find my friend's arm in mine.
and to get away from this scene of uproar. He walked swiftly and in silence for some minutes, until we'd turned down one of the quiet streets which leads towards Edgware Road. You did it very nicely, Doctor, he remarked. Nothing could have been better. It is all right. You have the photograph? I know where it is. And how did you find out? She showed me, as I told you she would. I'm still in the dark. I do not wish to make a mystery, said he, laughing. The matter was perfectly simple. You, of course, saw that everyone on the street was an accomplice. They were all engaged for the evening. I guessed as much. Then, when the row broke out, I had a little moist red paint in the palm of my hand. I rushed forward, fell down, clapped my hand to my face, and became a piteous spectacle. It's an old trick. That I also could fathom. Then they carried me in. She was bound to have me in. What else could she do? And into her sitting room, which was the very room which I suspected. It lay between that and her bedroom. And I was determined to see which. They laid me on a couch. I motioned for air, and they were compelled to open the window. And then you had your chance. How did that help you? Ah, it was all important. When a woman thinks that her house is on fire, her instinct is at once to rush to the very thing she values most. It is a perfectly overpowering impulse, and I have more than once taken advantage of it. In the case of the Darlington substation scandal, it was of use to me, and also in the Arnsworth Castle business. A married woman grabs at her baby, an unmarried one reaches for her jewel box. Now it was clear to me that Our Lady of today had nothing in the house more precious to her than what we are in quest of. She would rush to secure it. The alarm of fire was admirably done. The smoke and shouting were enough to shake nerves of steel. She responded beautifully. The photograph is in a recess behind a sliding panel just above the right bell pole. She was there at an instant, and I caught a glimpse of it as she half drew it out. When I cried out it was a false alarm, she replaced it, glanced at the rocket, rushed from the room, and I haven't seen her since. I rose and, making my excuses, escaped from the house. I hesitated whether to attempt to secure the photograph at once, but the coachman had come in, and as he was watching me narrowly, I seemed safer to wait a little over precipitance. Precipitance may ruin all. And now, I asked, well, our quest is practically finished. I shall call the king tomorrow, and with you, if you care to come with us, we will be shown into the sitting-room to wait for the lady, but it's probable that when she comes she may find neither of us nor the photograph. It might be a satisfaction to his majesty to regain it with his own hands. And when will you call? At eight in the morning. She will not be up, and so that we shall have a clear field. Besides, we must be prompt, for this marriage may mean a complete change in her life and habits. I must wire the king without delay. We'd reached Baker Street and stopped at the door. He was searching in his pockets for the key when someone passing said, Good night, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. There were several people on the pavement at 
the time, but the greeting appeared to come from a slim youth in an ulster who'd hurried by. I've heard that voice before, said Holmes, staring dimly down the street. Now, I wonder who the deuce that could be. And that's the end of that segment. Part three will come up in our next adventure coming up on uh, Wednesday night in uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Whoops! I disappeared! Where did I go? There we go. <laughs> oh, man, it's been one of those nights, hasn't it? The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. All right, my friends, thanks so much. I'll see you again on uh, Wednesday night, and uh, please don't forget to follow, like, subscribe. If you have a chance, go to your favorite podcast platform and just to search for over there, I'm Not Wearing Pants or Jay Sheldon. Look for that logo and click on it. Click follow or subscribe. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. And uh, until then, I'll see you Wednesday at 10. I'm the guy without the pants, Jay Sheldon. Good night. Snort. <laughs>